This episode contains content not suitable for children. Viewer discretion is advised. Oh, we definitely have some school pride. From the teachers, the staff, everyone has just been It's different out here as we live in a rural school district. Our school district. has There's been rated a top ranking ISD for years. In my mind, that teachers have our kids' best interest at heart. Are government schools really the best place for children to learn and grow in a safe environment? Are they protected and prioritized? Or is there a looming system, a silent monolith that consumes government schools and encourages administrators to put themselves and their school above the needs of students? I'm Katie Marshall, and this is the final episode of Exposed, the dark side of Texas schools. The administrators are always going to protect the machine. If you're going to place the responsibility of self-policing, self-regulating on the part of the school district, they can whitewash what's going on. And to think that it could happen in our own district, scary. The job of the administration is to protect the machine of the district. After hearing all of these heart-wrenching stories about assault and neglect in Texas's government schools, I wanted to find out what the future may look like for the children who suffered unimaginable horrors. While researching some of the stories you've heard in previous episodes, I got the chance to talk to Adrian Salazar, a San Antonio man who was assaulted by his elementary school principal as a child. I know it started in third grade, and that's kind of when things started, or the relationship, I guess, started to be a little bit more inappropriate. You know, for a while, he would just kind of like buy, like uh, invite me to his, his office there at the school. And we'd play like, you know, board games. And you know, he'd pull me out of class certain times of the day. Or, you know, instead of going to PE, he would tell the teacher that he was going to, you know, study with me in his office. And um, initially, it started off as like, he would take my shoes off and he would nibble my toes. Or, uh, you know, it, it kind of started with that, right? And then it progressed to, like, kisses on, you know, like, my belly button area. And obviously he'd close the door and then we'd play games for a little bit. And then while we'd play games, he'd have me sit on top of the, the desk near him. And then that's when he would do all that while I was, you know, distracted playing the game. That sounded like a lot for a child to process. So I asked Adrian how he felt at the time. I mean, at the time... I mean, I, you know, obviously, second, third grade, you're kind of clueless to what that means or what that is. So, I mean, it felt weird, you know, like nervous, anxious. Now, like, you know, at that point, I didn't know how to how to name those emotions. But thinking back, like, okay, that, that's that's what I was feeling, right? I just know I would, like, I'd be shaking sometimes, you know, there in the office, kind of, like, nervous. And, uh, but, you know, it would kind of brush off and I go, like, it's all right, like maybe it's cold in here or something, right? Unfortunately, the abuse was ongoing, and its severity only escalated. It started progressing a little bit more, but that, you know, I would say that probably went on for a couple years, a couple grade levels. Once I got maybe to like fifth grade, that's when it started to progress. At that point, fifth grade, I think that was like the first time or one of the first times he tried to to perform oral sex. And 
that's kind of what it progressed to. And, it, you know, obviously that's kind of the level it stayed. I never, thankfully, never took it any further. According to Adrian, his abuser continually groomed him by buying him an iPod, video games, sneakers, and taking him to Dave and & Buster's and the movie theater. But if all of this abuse took place in the vice principal's office, how did no other adult at the school notice what was happening? Maybe a couple times they would try opening the door while I was sitting on the desk and he would just kind of make me get off because my shoes were always off and my socks were always off. And so I know a couple times people did notice and ask why my socks were off, but I don't know what, you know, what excuse he would give or whatever. And then, um, if anybody did notice or if anybody did suspect anything, nobody ever said anything until years down the line. The abuse ended when Adrian told a youth pastor his story. The pastor then told Adrian's uncle, who proceeded to tell a teacher at Adrian's school. She's the one who ends up coming to the house one day. I remember I was there, you know, hanging out at the house. She comes to the house crying, talks to my mom, and they come to my room and they're like, hey, like, did Mr. Officer ever touch you inappropriately or do anything? Like, you could tell us, like, it's okay. And at that point, I mean, I broke down and I kind of just laid everything on the table. And that's the day that my parents found out. And that's kind of the day that the process started with everything. You know, from there we called the police, called uh, CPS showed up at my house. I know that they went and arrested him. I asked Adrian what he would tell a child experiencing the same or similar abuse as he did. So my advice would be, if it's, if it's something like this is happening to you, don't be afraid to go to your parents or go to someone you trust, even a counselor at the school. Um, because if you don't, then it's just, you know, it's going to keep going and, and it gets tough. Like it really does get tough. So, so speak up. Don't be afraid. You got a lot, a lot of support around you. And, you know, I think another fear is retaliation, right, from the, the person. So that's not possible either because obviously police are going to protect you and and counselors and whatnot, right? There's a lot of help out there. The vice principal of Price Elementary was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Adrian's family went on to sue South San Antonio ISD. And while one court said the district was liable for the abuse Adrian endured, another court reversed that decision and declared that South San Antonio ISD should face no consequences. However, Adrian feels that the school is responsible for the abuse. A couple of teachers walked in on him while I was on the desk, you know, and they suspected something as well, but all of them said the same thing. They all feared retaliation, which is why they never went above him, because at that point, the person you're supposed to go to first is, it's like, it's the chain of command, right? You go to the vice principal, and then the vice principal, you go to the principal, and then above the principal is. So their fear was jumping straight over him to, you know, skipping the chain of command, it's like corporate suicide. And so from my understanding, that's the reason, you know, they didn't say anything. And that's that's why I feel like the school should be held accountable because of his position of power. I wanted to understand more about the court case against San Antonio ISD 
and why the district was declared unresponsible when one of its students was sexually assaulted by an employee. So I got in touch with Ricardo Garcia, the lawyer who handled the Salazar family's lawsuit. Ricardo has been practicing in the McAllen area since 1983 and has represented multiple families whose children were abused at Texas government schools. We brought civil suit and then we obtained a judgment for $5 million against San Antonio Independent School District. And then they appealed it, because it's another federal case, they appealed it to the Fifth Circuit. And the Fifth Circuit, that's the appellate division, our, our appellate division, said that the law is that you have to show actual knowledge and the fact that, that the principal was doing it wasn't enough to put to place knowledge, actual knowledge on the part of the school district. And we had to show that it was someone above him would have had to have known, such as the superintendent. Although Ricardo and his team tried to move the case up through the federal court system, it found no traction. I asked Ricardo what he thought about the final decision in Adrian's case. Well, we were we were put out, obviously. I mean, we lost. Uh, we The boy got nothing. You know, we got nothing. I think that if the appropriate person and the man in charge is the one doing the, the evil act, the molestation, that should have been an exception accepted by the Fifth Circuit. We shouldn't have to go above that. It's almost an impossible standard. Ricardo told me that holding school districts accountable is so difficult in Texas that he stopped taking these cases because they're virtually unwinnable. He called for the state legislature to bring more accountability to the government school system by opening them up to civil lawsuits. I wish the legislatures would enact laws that place civil liability on the part of school districts should they have, let's not say actual knowledge, but knowledge that places uh, that the child is being molested and, and that knowledge on the part of the school district is that they knew more probably than not that the molestation is occurring and that they have to launch a reasonable investigation and based on that investigation they can take action if they choose to not do anything then they face civil liability because this is this goes on a lot Ricardo also said that school districts should not carry out internal investigations because they may sweep evidence under the rug. Instead, they should hand these cases over to local authorities. I mean, that's always the problem, you know, is that if you're going to place the responsibility of self-policing, self-regulating on the part of the school district, they can whitewash what's going on. So maybe the standard now talking to you about it should be that if they have evidence of this occurring, they're under an obligation to report this to the police, and the police initiate an investigation. Ricardo's comments about school districts potentially whitewashing cases of abuse, combined with all of the stories I had heard from parents, led me to one conclusion. School districts are protected from accountability when a student is assaulted or neglected on their watch. And when I continued my research into Prosper ISD, my conclusion was once again confirmed. February 27th, 2023. And it's now 7 p.m. 
This meeting of the Prosper ISD Board of Trustees is hereby It's five months after the Prosper ISD School Board promised to initiate an independent investigation into the shocking sexual abuse and cover-up case that occurred during the 2021 to 2022 school year, and one month after the board called the investigation complete. James Pope, a dad in the district, addresses the school board during one of its monthly meetings. September 13th, the board voted on an independent investigation into the bus driver, which I thought was great. Uh, it's been quite a few months. A lot of people are impatient. I'm not because I know how investigations go. They take time. Um, with that being said, I don't, I'm the type of person that doesn't take no for an answer because uh, as it was said in January 23rd, that uh, it had been completed, but it could not be released due, due to ongoing litigation. Um, on February 2nd, I put in a request through FOIA requesting a copy of the independent investigation. It was received on the 6th, and then I received a response on February 20th. I asked for a copy of it, uh, redactions if they were needed. Um, I felt that uh, because of the fact that it was uh, voted by the, by the board itself, it should have been provided. And um, I also wanted legal justification if it was not provided and so that I, I could take it to the Attorney General for a ruling. On the 20th, I received this and I quote, after a diligent search, the district was unable to locate any documents responsive to your request and we consider this request now closed. Another open records request sent by a different Prosper parent received the same reply from the district's attorney. After a diligent search, the district was unable to locate any documents responsive to your request and considers this request now closed. What's interesting is that the attorney's responses didn't say that the public wasn't entitled to receive the information but that no such information was found among the district's records. The attorney also directed both parents to submit future information requests to him, bypassing the district's public information request system. So did investigators actually create a written report with their findings? Prosper parents still don't know, almost a year after the investigation was supposed to start. Who actually faced consequences over the Prosper bus driver assaults? We know that the accused abuser, Frank Paniagua, is dead. But beyond Paniagua, no administrators or other officials with the district suffered more than public scorn for their actions. Former school board president Drew Wilborn is gone, but only because he was arrested for indecency with a child. Superintendent Holly Ferguson actually got a raise, paid for by the same parents the district has left feeling angry, frustrated, and ignored. They also renewed her contract into 2028. What does this mean for Prosper families, and for other parents across the state worried that what happened at the good district could happen at their school to their kids? Did Prosper ISD learn from its mistakes? In June 2023, 
the family of a Prosper ISD high school student sued the district, claiming that school employees discriminated against their learning disabled daughter. Beyond concerns about discrimination, the family was even more disturbed by how Prosper ISD administrators failed to respond to their complaints. The district withheld documents from the family, their attorneys, and the media, citing privacy and state laws that allow government entities to hide information about pending litigation. And then, right at the start of the 2023-2024 to school year, another incident involving a bus driver occurred. On August 9, 2023, a Prosper bus driver got lost for more than an hour and a half with several young students on board. The students attended Rucker Elementary, the same school the two victims of Frank Paniagua attended. In fact, the lost bus was assigned to the same route that Paniagua drove. The bus wasn't even found by the district. A concerned mom, whose son rode Paniagua's bus, tracked it down and called the police. Today, the Prosper ISD bus 63 left Rucker around 3 p.m. to drop off kids at their homes. However, when I called the PISD bus number, they couldn't reach the driver. And I, you know, my kids were stuck on the bus for almost an hour, hour and a half. They were going around in circles and the driver seemed lost or unaware of the areas. My kids called me, telling me the bus was sweltering and the driver didn't know what to do. You know, I decided to check on them. After following up with the driver for about 30 minutes, I realized something was off. The driver was not driving correctly and seemed to be under the influence of something. I saw that she was driving recklessly and going around in circles. According to reports, students on the bus tried to help the driver and told her which streets to turn on but she ignored them. Although the district provides a bus tracking app for parents, the app wasn't working that day, and even the district was unable to track the bus. The district eventually responded to parents and apologized for the delay, but said the driver was new to the route and simply took a wrong turn. The Prosper ISD story absolutely shocked me. A district was able to keep a sexual abuse story quiet ignore parents' valid concerns, and then keep doing what they've always done at the expense of their students. In fact, that was the pattern I saw across the board, from Joshua to Round Rock to Belton. But I wanted to get a second opinion. So I sat down with Jeremy Newman, the Vice President of Policy Engagement for Texas Homeschool Coalition, and asked him if Texas school districts are sufficiently motivated to protect students. Uh, short answer is no, I don't think they're sufficiently motivated to protect their students. And, you, you know, you can have a lot of different interpretations of what protect means, right, obviously. And uh, I think that, you know, some people would consider it primarily about physical safety. And that is a big concern for a lot of people. And, you know, and, and it's not just about school shootings or something like that. In those cases, it's about bullying, drugs, those types of things. You know, parents pull their kids out regularly for safety concerns. I think of protect as a little bit of a broader term than that though, uh, because by and large, a parent isn't only concerned with whether their child grows up to understand how to do math, right? They, they want to know that their child is gonna be a functioning adult in society, that they're going to have values that at least roughly match the parent's values. 
Although many people want legislators to write more laws that would hold school districts accountable for their actions, including covering up scandals, low test scores, and other repeated failings, others see school choice as a viable solution. Give parents the opportunity to choose which school their child will attend, and make school districts actually compete with each other for students. Proponents of school choice see this as a way to force districts to improve, or else see their school fail. But what do school administrators think about this approach? This is really interesting. You, during the regular legislative session this year, we had a hearing on school choice. And if you just took a step back and looked at the type of people who were coming up to testify for and against, it was really telling. Because you had all of these public school administrators who would come up and testify about how you shouldn't pass school choice because you, you, you need to focus on improving the public school system and that by and large the system itself was good, it was just some of the functions of it that needed to be refined. That's kind of how they pitched it. But then you have all of these parents who are in that public school system coming and testifying on the other side of the bill saying, hey, the system's not working for us, you need to do something so that our kids can have the type of education that they need. Across political lines, across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines, the majority of people believe that we should have a policy that allows dollars to follow the child to support the decision that the parent is making. And uh, most of the public school kind of administrative establishment, has been included, are ardently against that. And to me, that's an indicator that, you know, they're, they're promoting the system more than they're promoting the students. So what should parents with children in government schools do? I truly believe though, you know, it really comes down to, you know, a parent and a child having honest conversations about things in, in life now and some of the dangers and how to, you know, really come forth and have open conversations about those things. A lot of kids like mine doesn't really like to talk and tell me what's going on. Look for signs. Believe your kids. There's so many of these stories, the reason why we captured them, um, they haunt us too. They haunt us. But the reason why we captured them is because uh, people need to recognize how serious the problem is and how deeply children are being impacted. I want to leave you with a question. Something to think about while you're driving your kids to school, calling your grandkids on the phone, or playing in the backyard with your nieces and nephews. Do you know if the people in charge of your school district are out to protect students or just themselves? Thank you for listening to season six of Exposed. If you want to know more about this topic, We've covered issues surrounding government education in Texas before. Season one of Exposed took an in-depth look at the scandals at Round Rock ISD. Season two explained how the education machine works in Texas. And season four uncovered how culture is sexualizing kids. The Exposed Podcast is a production of Texas Scorecard. The Texas Scorecard is the leading news outlet for government and culture. Go to texasscorecard.com today. This episode was written and hosted by Katie Marshall 
with audio engineering by Drew Cook and edited and produced by Walker York. Walker York.